Father, what a great and wonderful thing it is to know Your Word, to do Your Word, that You've given us Your Word. Please bless our study today as we see more of Yourself and Your goodness, and Your trustworthiness, Your faithfulness to Your Word revealed. In Deuteronomy, we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. And where we left off at a couple of weeks ago was Deuteronomy chapter 7. We've moved out of the area that is known as the Shema, the most famous of prayers in dealing with uh, Jewish life and how they conducted culture. And what you find is, is the reason why that was such a uh, um, embraced area of Scripture was because it was everything about molding the home in such a way as to proclaim the glory of Yahweh the Creator. Uh, at this time, the reason why um, there was such danger in preparation for moving forward is because the children of Israel had been wanderers for 40 years. Uh, they had come out of a place where they had been for 200 plus years, 400 years uh, in that area. Some people debate that idea. Um, but anyway, they've been there to where they had no home. They were under slave labor. They didn't understand what it was to have freedom. And then all of a sudden, God lends his ear to their cry and sends in Moses to deliver them. And now here they are, wonders. And next thing you know, they're actually going to go in and they're going to settle. They're actually going to have rest in a situation. And so what Moses is doing at this time, because their parents had failed in going in and inheriting the land, what he's doing in this time is he is preparing them for what a way of life is to look like in such a way as to where it provokes the nations to take notice. And so moving forward from that concept, verse uh, chapter 7, verse 1, when Yahweh your Elohim brings you into the land. Now notice, that's what we're talking about, going in to settle this land. We're talking about real estate, a territory, that whole idea. Where you are entering to possess it. Now does anybody remember what the other word for possess is? Inherit, that's the idea. The I, And get this, this is important from what we just talked about on Sundays. When you are reading the Old Testament, you might say, okay, the Jews and wandering around the Middle East, and I just don't get it all, and how come everybody's so weird, and all this stuff. The Old Testament is set up as a picture of what the Christian life looks like. So when we talk about keeping God's commands so that Israel will inherit the land, that's not any different in concept For the Christian, are we to keep the Ten Commandments? No, the Ten Commandments are good for one thing, and that's condemning us of sin. That's really good at that. However, nobody can be saved or justified by keeping the commandments. But if we are to have intimacy with Yahweh because of what Jesus has done, then we will keep Jesus' commandments. Very simple one. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. And so you will be my disciples, right? That's how everybody will know that you're my disciples, by the way that you love one another. Love, demonstrated in the church, is an indispensable command that will be a major chunk of the pie piece that leads to us possessing or inheriting the kingdom. You can't get past it. The New Testament is replete with the command to love, 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 love. Well, What Israel is dealing with right here is the same concept. When you come into this land, God wants you to possess it. And the way you possess it is not having sharper spears. The way you possess it is not trying to convert Chuck Norris to Judaism. 
That's not the way it gets done. Bigger bullets, bigger bombs, better plans, different politicians. That's not how this occupation is going to take place. It's going to take place because Israel has humbled themselves under the hand of God, and God is going to go forward and be the warrior who smites the opposition so that Israel can move in in obedience and take the possession of it for themselves. Does that make sense? It's the same idea with us. It is... it. Inheriting the kingdom in the Christian life, and this is something that's going to need to be made clear because it gets sorely misconstrued, is not about doing better and trying harder. That's what we often think. Well, I read my Bible today. I'm on the upswing. Well, I didn't do it today, so now I don't even know if the Lord loves me anymore. And we get real schizophrenic about our Christianity real quick. His promises are sure, and if there is anything worthy in regards to our part in the kingdom, that's going to happen, it's going to be because we got out of God's way and let God work through us. Does that make sense? Yes? We're good? Okay. See, I was gone for a week. You guys are already tired of me. I can tell. All right. <clears throat> so notice what you have here. To possess it, and he clears away many nations before you. And notice he names them off. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. Now, one of the calamities, sorry, not calamities, one of the major disappointments that we saw two weeks ago when we were dealing with this passage is these seven nations that are mentioned here. If you actually go to Amos, uh, I think it is, let me see where my note is on that. Uh, Amos chapter 9, we don't have to go there now. I'm not asking you to go there. I don't want to get bogged down in that. But when you go there, you actually find that on the other side of the conquest moving into the promised land, the Israelites did not listen to anything Moses told them. I mean, Moses is the model parent. Israel is the model child. They, they just, you, you tell them, and 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 then they get horrible results, and you're just sitting here going, that's what it is. So what you find is, is because they refuse to deal forcefully with these pagan nations who deserved the judgment of God, and God had called Israel to be his instrument of judgment to them, they now become ensnared by this paganism. So moving on here, verse 2. And when Yahweh your Elohim delivers them, notice he's the fighter, before you, and you defeat them. So notice, Yahweh's going to deliver them to you, and then you're going to defeat them is the idea. Then you shall utterly destroy, there's our Hebrew word, harem, you're going to utterly destroy them, put them under a ban, dedicate them to destruction, completely wiped out, annihilated, wiped off the face of the earth. That's the idea. That is the judgment that they have earned because of their debauchery. Now, I gave you this before. If you want to write it down, if you didn't happen to get it before, here is the reason why. This sounds so harsh and so terrible. <clears throat> you shall make no covenant. What's another word for a covenant? Contract. Now pay attention. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. If you want to write down right next to that, here's the reason why. Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 30. Leviticus 18, 24 through 30. And I'm sorry, I told you earlier, Amos, it's actually Ezra. Ezra chapter 9, not Amos. Forgive me for that. So notice, when you, when you come in contact with these people, do not make an agreement. Do not spit in your palm and shake their hand and say, we'll be nice to y'all if y'all are nice to us. No. You are not to enter into any kind of mutual compatibility with them at all. None. 
Notice the next part that you're dealing with is show them no favor. Now, this is difficult, especially if you're a nice person. How many of you are nice? Okay, prideful too. So, notice I'm <laughs> just kidding. But notice, when you read something like this and you think, wow, show uh, seven nations of people no favor, not even one person, we automatically go, well, what about the children in this situation? No, God is serious. And what's sad about it is that the children have earned this death because of the decision of their parents. I talk about the importance of a family structure there. Everybody see why God is so concerned about the integrity and obedience of the family? Important stuff. So verse 3, Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. Some of us would say, don't be unequally yoked. Does any? Let me ask this question. This is an interesting discussion. Does anybody know, it could be maybe you or your kids, if your spouse is here, you don't want to answer this. Anybody know anybody that's unequally yoked in marriage? How's that work out? It's extremely difficult, is it not? Man, some of it's a mess. Good grief. What are some things that you see that characterize that poorly? Just share it in general terms. We don't, you know. Different in life perspective. What you're living for is just different. Your motivations, what you value is different. Man, that's rough. What's that? Lots of bickering, right? Messes with the kids. Yeah, only reason why we're staying together is because that keeps the mortgage cheap. That kind of thing. But yeah, people constantly at one another's throat. Depression and loneliness. You're joined as one flesh to somebody and you feel as far away as them as can be and they're sitting right next to you. Oh, man. Wow, Chuck. Drop that wisdom. Say it again. Say it again so everybody here. I'm giving you the mic. Say it. <laughs> well, f- frequently what happens is that the non-believer wins in the battle, and the believer gives up, suppo- or sort of, and it draws them away from the Lord. Absolutely. Being unequally yoked in a marriage situation will cause cause you to fudge on your Savior. Or let's say it this way. We've, we've talked about this before. I remember doing it with Leland. If I'm standing up here and I am trying to pick up someone else, are they going to be able to drag me off the chair or will I be able to pick them up onto the chair? Chances are you're going to get jerked off the chair. That's exactly the way it is in an unbelieving situation. Now notice God, through Moses, is warning them. Don't marry him. Why? Because Palestinian women are hot. That's a reason why. Let's be honest. But when you go in there and you have carnal motivations, wow, she's kind of nice. wonder if she wants to go to, I don't know, A&W, Dairy Queen, whatever. So moving on. Plug for you guys. So, <clears throat> But notice what it says here. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Now, stop. Hotness aside, why would Israel feel compelled to do something like that? It's the spoils of war. We, we, we've, we've conquered everything, and so we'll take the women. Right, three amigos? Anybody seen that? Okay, never mind. 
What else? What? Land treaties. In fact, that's the reason why Solomon took so many wives. That man, good gravy. Where'd all his time go? It's amazing. But that's the reason why he did. It's because he didn't trust the Lord as his security. And so by intermarrying into this family, we're good with them. How you know? It's my father-in-law, right? We're going to intermarry with these people, and I'm related to you too, and you, well, you don't want to attack us. Family reunions are going to be weird. And all of a sudden, they set that whole thing up to where this is how I'm going to establish peace throughout the land. And what you find is, is that there's an essential ingredient missing. God, he's gone. Chuck, what were you going to say? Yes, yes, he is, he is. If you wipe them off the face of the earth, you don't have to worry about having kids with them. Or let's, let's break it down into an application that we can all take. Just do what God says and the hypotheticals are a non-issue. I mean, obedience really is not any harder than that. What did God say? See, this is one of the most frustrating things I find in situations, especially in counseling situations with some people. Here's what's going on in my life. Okay, cool, cool. Well, here's what God says in this book, in this chapter, with these verses about this situation. Yeah, but, okay, time out. Either God's word is true or it's not. If it is true, the only next question you have to answer is, I will obey it or I won't obey it. There's the decision. By taking them to the word, here's what you do. You remove yourself as the, well, Jeremy said, because that's what a lot of people want. Well, the pastor said this. No. If the pastor ever tells you something, don't believe it. Unless he had a chapter and verse to back it up. That's the only reason why you should believe anything I ever say. Because I can talk like a fool. Okay? (laughs) Lord knows your heart. Don't try to cover your face with your coffee cup. That's how you know she's, that's her tell. That's how you know what she said was wrong because she's having to hide after she says it. If it was just true and everybody knew it, she'd be like, yep, I said it. What's that? Yes. Yes, your your Starbucks cup is your fig leaves. Congratulations. (laughs) So, so moving on. <clears throat> but notice the intermarriage is a, is a dangerous thing to go about here. And notice that we're given the reason why. Verse 4. 4, here's your causal conjunction. Let him, let him explain what he just said. They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Stop there. What are the ramifications of intermarrying with pagans? What's that? You start following pagan gods. Anybody know what pagan gods really are? Demons. Idols are just representations of something demonic that has revealed itself to an already hard-hearted, conscience-seared people. We read about Baal. We read about Marduk. We read about Ashtaroth in the Old Testament. We're like, who are these people? They're weird. Why is everybody worshiping them? 
They are fallen angels that have revealed themselves to people because Satan's grand goal of how he thinks he is going to get victory is deceiving the nations deceiving the nations and they locked him away in the abyss for a thousand years so that he could no longer deceive the nations and when they let him loose he went about deceiving the nations one thing that would really help us in the political realm instead of thinking that sean hannity tells us the truth about everything which he does not instead of trusting him rather than what god has said is realizing that demons are behind everything. That's why the only thing that God puts forward is His Son. Christ, Christ alone, Christ period. That's it. He's the King. Don't worry about all this other stuff. Conjuring all these other allegiances. Why? Because I guarantee you when we get caught up in those things, when I used to listen to a little too much Rush Limbaugh, I started caring less and less about what God told me the future was going to have. It eclipsed. It made my interests divided. That's dangerous because now I'm trying to mix truth and untruth. Laverne. Yes? Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a false god. Lady of Guadalupe, which is, which is, I'm trying to fit anybody, I've heard enough about this, but connected in Catholicism in some way. In fact, that whole picture, mother and child, Mary and child, that whole thing right there, actually has its origins back in Genesis chapter 6, chapter 5, the time of Nimrod, because he ended up marrying his mom. That's where that whole picture comes from. It's all paganism. That's the thing we don't remember. It's all paganism. It is. I mean, I hate, I hate to bring that about, but there's a lot of things that we have embraced as a culture that actually have pagan origins. That's why God just puts his word forward all the time, and the greatest manifestation of his word is Jesus Christ all the time, all the time. And if we deviate from how simple God's made it, I mean, we got two eyes, but we only got to look at one place. It's easy. But because everything is vying for our attention to Rip us to shreds and move us. That's, that's what Satan wants. That's the whole point of deception, is getting you into a place and going, good grief, how in the world did I get here? And looking back and going, man, I went wrong way back there. It's a messed up messed up place to be in. Roxanne. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's the interesting thing that makes Catholicism so accessible is because they don't care what you believe on the side. They just want your money and your real estate. That's all it's all it's about. And by doing so, but but by doing that, they've accepted you. They're promoting larger numbers. Oh, larger numbers. God must be at work. The problem is, is there's no definitive standard because the church is the authority over the scriptures. It's not scripture alone. And that's the whole thing that Luther was trying to charge for in the Reformation. It's scripture alone. Uh, Sola scriptura is what it was in the Latin. Scripture alone, scripture by itself. And it was a major affront to the Catholic Church and how they operated. Why? Because it cost them financially. It hit them in the pocketbook and they didn't like it. So, yeah, and they don't care how it's morphed. They just want numbers. 
financially, heads, to count, whatever. It seems successful. Man, counting numbers are so deceiving in people's eyes. Anyway, let's move on. Notice, intermarrying, the idea they'll turn you away to serve other gods. You'll serve demons. Then, if that weren't bad enough in that situation, the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Why? Because you've just violated the first and second commandments that he gave you back in chapter 5. So notice, the Ten Commandments serve as a foundational point of how all of these warnings are going to stem off of. Mac is slain in the spirit back there, isn't he? Is he all right? Is he asleep? Okay. I say, you must be like the the most genius back rubber in the world, Rory. What are you doing after Sunday school? Come up here. There you go. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Verse, verse 5, but this you shall do to them. Now watch this. You shall tear down their altars. If you want to number these, it might help. Number one, tear down their altars. Number two, smash their sacred pillars. Number three, hew down. I love it. I love the word hew. Cut into pieces. Snip it on up. Hew down their ashram. What is an ashram? Does anybody have... A uh, little little number next to that in your Bible with something in the cross-reference. Anybody see that? What is it, ashram? What, is, what, what does your translation have? Wooden symbols of a female deity. Probably something in the English we don't need to know. But notice, cut it down. It's no good. It's not going to help you in this situation. Cut it down. And notice, number four, burn their graven images excuse me, burn their graven images with fire. Now, here's what's interesting. Notice that going into this land, complete, utter, desolation, destruction, wipe it all out, tear it down, burn it, cut it, get rid of it. Is God serious about sin and deception? Very much so. And notice, in order for them to successfully settle in this land, in a way in which God will bless. They have to take care of the influences that would lead them in a different direction. There can be no traces of paganism left behind. No traces of idol worship. See, this is one of the difficulties, this mirrors the difficulty that happens in the Christian life. You're saved by the grace of God. We don't deserve it, but He gives His Son anyway. By Christ alone, he is the only sacrifice, and he is a sufficient sacrifice for our sin debt we owe to a holy God. And it's accepted by faith alone, we believe, and we are accounted as righteous. But when people get into this new relationship, they still want to dabble in the junk. And that takes time. We all have to grow in Christ and start becoming discerning in those types of things. But sometimes, Christians who have continued to dabble, they talk about, this is my liberty in Christ. I'll never forget this. Anybody ever eaten at an old Chicago Old Chicago, you heard of it? They do pizza. We got 600 beers on tap. That's kind of like their thing or whatever. So at Resurgence, I'm the oldest person in the church, pastoring the church. I've got some 23-year-old guys that I hear about that are hanging out there going, we're free in Christ, let's have another one. Now here's a question. Are they free in Christ to do that? They are. Thank you for getting that right. Is, it's true. I'm glad it finally happened. <clears throat> is it profitable? 
Is it benefiting anybody around them? Is it representing Jesus in all of His holiness? It's actually tarnishing any opportunity for the glory of God. Huh? The world will point that out quick. The world has the world is looking for reasons not to believe and to classify Yahweh as just any other superstition that anybody else believes in. Well, why should why should we care about him? He's no different. Well, notice if the whole opportunity of walking into this land is remove temptations. Get rid of them. Cast them out. No more. Destroy it. When I got saved, I had to go through my CD collection. Killed me. I sold about 120 CDs. Sold them. Hey, pagans want to listen to it? Yep. No, I actually ended up taking a lot of brothers I met in a, in a brand new Bible study. Took them to Olive Garden. We had a good time. Because I think I got like 150 bucks out of it. Like spaghetti over here, lasagna over here. I mean, we're having a good time. Uh, just to do something like that. You know what's sad about that? Three weeks later, I was wishing I had those CDs back. Why is that? Because I wanted to make great strides to be obedient to the Lord because I knew it was poison. I knew there were some things you just don't have any business listening to. It has no place in glorifying God. But there was something about the flesh that could not be cured. That itch had to be scratched. The old man, exactly. And that's before anybody taught me about positional truth. When you come to Christ, the old man is dead. When I realize that my old man is dead and I am alive, I live a new life in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden I found sin much easier to deal with. Not that I didn't still sin, but I actually sinned a lot less. Not that I'm trying to keep score, but all of a sudden it clicked in my mind. I'm not living according to who I am. I'm actually a walking hypocrite. Because Jesus has set me up for so much more than what I'm settling for. It was revolutionary in my life. Amazing what it is to be in Christ. That's why we're focusing on the verse that we've got. Well, notice it's no different here. God, Yahweh, does not want His beloved people who He has rescued and delivered and set them on a path of abundance. I mean, think about it. All they got to do is just do what God told them and everything is going to be amazing. Not just, yeah, we kind of made it in by the skin of our teeth. No, it's going to be, woo, gangbusters. It's going to be awesome. They just got to follow and do what He says. What did God say? That's what I'm going to do. What did God say? That's what I'm going to do. That's it. Don't get deterred. Do what he said. Was it hard? You think it was hard for them to walk into Jericho and kill those people? It's probably really difficult. It was. Pre- and here's the thing. I'm actually convinced probably killing the people wasn't the most difficult thing. What do you think the most difficult thing was? Okay. This is time number four around this city. This is the dumbest battle plan I have ever seen in my life. Just uh, do we have do we have to go around three more times before you guys are going to blow those things? Really, blow the trumpet. Good grief! We look like morons out here. <laughs> Don't you think that's what it was? Probably. Was God right? See how it works. God's right. Just need to do what He said. Just trust Him. He knows. You don't need to come up with some pay off a locksmith to get through this gate. 
You need to trust God. Blow a trumpet and he will tear the walls down and give victory. Just like he said he would. See, it's so simple when I say it right now. Tomorrow, I'm going to struggle with this huge. Why don't I have victory in my life? It's going to be terrible. Anyway, moving on. I'm a positive person. Verse 6. I'm positive it's going to be that way. Uh, Verse 6. Here's the reason why. And here's the thing. When you find yourself in the midst of having to make a hard decision that must be obeyed because you know that God's called you to it. It's difficult. The first thing we want to do is allow reasons to creep in as to why we don't need to. And one of the greatest ones is doubting self. That's what it is. Now, is this a self-esteem message? No, there's nothing in the Bible about self-esteem. You are never told in the scriptures at all to love yourself, not one time. But here's where the direction of thinking does go. And look what Moses does. You come in here, you utterly destroy these people, you tear down everything that they ever worshipped and held dear and thought what was bringing them prosperity in their life, get rid of it, burn it, cut it, destroy it, all this. And then look what he says in verse uh, 6. For you are a holy people. That's who you are. Stop. What does the word holy mean? That's what that means. Away. I am set apart from that now. I am a holy person. You are a holy person. The church has been called as holy people. We have been set apart from this world. Israel has been set apart from all the nations. Look what else he says here. You're a holy people to Yahweh, your Elohim. Yahweh, your Elohim, has chosen you to be a people for his own. What's the word? Now stop for a second. When we've been dealing with the idea of possess and possessing, how has Deuteronomy been painting that picture so far? Inheritance of what? The land. Israel is inheritance of the land. Stop for a second and grasp this point. Okay, get this, because this is cool stuff. Notice, Yahweh your Elohim has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. Now, if we're being consistent in what the word possession means, what is it saying that Israel is to God? His inheritance. Stop. God owns everything. God created everything. God can deal with anything. God needs nothing. And he deems these hard-headed people as the prized possession that he wants to receive abundantly. Does that even make sense? Is that the love of God? Now here's the amazing thing. It's not any different for us. Turn to Ephesians 1. And I'm not trying to confuse Israel and the church. I'm not. I'm going to a New Testament passage to show you that that type of relationship is, is an, in fact reality for the church. Ephesians chapter 1. Hold on one second because got to find it. 
We'll start in verse 15. That way you get a running start into what's going on. Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And watch what he says about this. Here is what he prays for these people. He's praying for other Christians. Look what he says. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So He wants you to know more and He wants amazing, glorious things that God has for you to be revealed to you. That's all great stuff. We love that. Yay us, right? That's what His prayer is for us. And real quick, I think it's always a good thing whenever you see prayers in the Bible, ask yourself if you pray like this. Because I know I don't. I'm like, Aunt Edna's hip is acting up again. God, please be the spirit of Bengay on her life. No, that's not how Paul prays. Watch this. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, here's the reason, you will know what is the hope of his calling. Stop. Are they already saved? Okay, so notice, this is, this is a hope that has to do with what they're called to. Not just called to be saved, no. God has called them to a task, something that's going on here. Notice what goes on. The hope of his calling, what are the riches, okay, good stuff, yes, of the glory, is that good stuff? Yes, of his inheritance in the what? In the saints that we would begin to understand in an increased knowledge and revelation of Him, and that our hearts, which when we're talking about hearts, we're not talking about, that's not it, right? We're talking about the central seat of our being that causes us to either agree or disagree, to obey or not obey. It It is the place where emotions and will meet together, okay? So it's the motivation of everything. It's the conviction that we have rooted within us about why things are so or not so, true or lie, okay? He wants our hearts to be enlightened to an understanding, and look what he says, that we would know the hope. Now notice, hope is not, I hope it doesn't rain. Remember that. It's not how we use it today. It is a sure and certain thing that is to come. The hope of his calling so that, I'm sorry, the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul wants this church to know with a heart conviction that God takes pleasure in inheriting them as the church unto himself as a prized possession. That's you and me. Because we are in Christ, we are part of the church. God loves that he will inherit us. Now, does that bowl you over or what? Who am I that God would want me? And then I forget, oh yeah, he demonstrated his love. Christ died while I was still a sinner. And he's paid for all of my sins, every bit of it. Every sin has been atoned for. And riches upon riches upon riches. And not only that, but just to throw some good old icing over the top and stick a cherry on it, He wants to inherit us. When it's all said and done, we are 
the reward he receives. It's all by his grace. I don't get it, man. I ain't got anything else to say about it. That's just insane. And, and do you understand why Paul was praying that we would have wisdom, knowledge, heart, enlightenment? Because it's like, wait a second, that just that that doesn't make sense with anything I know. Yeah, let's pray, and let's pray this prayer. Father, we give thanks to you. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and making a relationship possible. But Father, we ask like Paul does that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and a knowledge and an understanding of You. Father, may our hearts, eyes be enlightened so that we would further understand the hope of Your calling and realize the great riches of Your glory that You consider us Your inheritance. Help us to understand the surpassing greatness of Your power toward us and that it works according to the strength of Your might. And it's hard to even comprehend anything I just prayed from Scripture. But Lord, that's why we need that understanding. So may our hearts be true before you and sincere, desiring to know you more. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.